All right, Reed, here we are. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. I appreciate yeah. it. It's awesome. Awesome to hang out with you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled for you to be here. We've gone back a while. I know who you are, but why don't you take a moment and give the audience those maybe few that don't know who you are. Why don't you give uh, yourself a nice little bio? Sure. Yeah. I remember we go back way back with your SVN days. So I started in commercial real estate, selling apartment buildings in the neighborhoods of Chicago in 2001. I had a certain section that I was working on. That's a long time ago in, in the space. And, and I initially started selling to the only, the only people that were buying apartment buildings in Chicago were condo converters at that time. And I truly believed when I started the business that I was going to sell myself out of a business because I, I really believed every single apartment building and complex in the country was going to be converted to condos mm -hmm. just because I was so young and involved in that. So it started selling to condo converters. I didn't even know how to, to run a P&L statement. I didn't, we didn't even care about rent rolls. It was all about square footages or the size of the units. Yeah. And then when the tides started turning in 2007 was like the last really hot condo market here. I started to figure out that apartment buildings actually cash flowed and you had to understand how to understand that. So I got my CCIM, which we both share that as well. And from there we had to, you know, I started moving into the suburban markets, working on larger apartment deals. And at that time we were, I was just part of a small dinosaur boutique firm and I actually lost a particular deal. It was a hundred units. It was 50 units split by the expressway in Northwest Indiana that one of, one of the clients that I had said, I know you track every single apartment building in Illinois and Indiana. And do you know the owner of this? I said, yes, I know the owner of that. And I drove out and met with him and uh, asked him what he wanted. And he told me he wanted 50,000 a door. So $5 million. And I brought him a 4950 offer. And he said that he had, he looked at his management agreement as, cause he syndicated it and it stated that he had to list it with a nationally recognized firm. From there, I tried to figure out what national firm to get into that I didn't have to change a lot of things. And SVN was one of those, one of those firms. So we ended up buying into the franchise in 2008, which was a great year to start doing that. Yeah. Uh, so we ramped up with that company with SVN and in 2013, I became the national council chair for multifamily and we work on deals. My team, particularly here in Illinois, Iowa, a little bit in Indiana, mostly in the Midwest. And then I partner up with a lot of people in the council to work a number of different states around the country. That's where we are today. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard your full story. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, that's only part of it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious about the condo conversion aspect of the business when you first got started, especially sure. because like right now, it seems you can't build condos. You can't get financing for them. Nothing. They're completely no. out of vogue. Yeah. So. Which is interesting because as you well know, the reason why the metrics and multifamily are, are so robust, one of the major reasons is there's not a mass exodus like there was in 2008, 9, and 10. Actually, it was more 2006 and 7. If anybody that could get, that had a pulse, could get a mortgage to leave an apartment to go buy a home they couldn't afford. This is not the instance in, the, in this current market that we found ourselves in 2024, where. I think you just posted something, right? About yeah. the home the mortgage prices versus rental rates and yes, mortgages it's, it's are way flipped, up here and rental completely. rates are here. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot more costly to own a home right now than it is to rent. And this is even after three years of double digit percentage increases that we've seen in a lot of the markets, but it's still cheaper to rent because of the fact that a lot of the homeowners are sitting with a 30 year fixed 2.7% interest rate. They can't get out of it's like rent control. So they're not leaving their home. They're not putting it on the market. So the inventory is squished down to virtually nothing, which is interesting that you brought up the condos because now would be a fantastic time if a developer were to switch of like a rental product over to a condominium product because of the inventory constraints that we have, at least here in Chicago. I don't know what it would be like in a lot of the other markets, but 
if you put on a condo product right now, as long as it wasn't thousand dollars a square foot, you probably could sell out. There's a market for everything, right? True. We're seeing rental rates. I remember somebody, when I first got started here in Cincinnati, somebody was like, rents will never break a dollar a foot. Yep. And now we're no, in, here in town, like $3 a foot. I was looking at a deal in outside of Ann Arbor and they're performing like $4 a foot. I was like, what? That's what we called San Francisco prices when we started to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, you let's think a little bit more. So you you got in, you're afraid you were going to sell everything out, but that actually didn't happen cuz no. there was not full absorption of the inventory. I'm curious how actually let's finish the story and then we can go back and then maybe pick it apart. So sure. 2013 you became council chair. That's probably about the time you and I probably met in 2011, right? Yeah. I feel like that's right. Yeah. I want to say, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Because we were in, I think, San Diego when we were, you came up to talk about, I think we were talking about Yardy Matrix at the time. And yeah. It to, Pierce Island. Yeah. It was Pierce Island at the time. <laughs> it's funny. I just talked to Ron Brock last week. Really? I'd love to speak with him if you can yeah. connect us. Well, he'll be in, he'll be in NMHC. Okay. So let's connect when we're out there. For sure. Yeah. It's a cool cat. You can make fun of my stash stance again. <laughs> You're it. doing the stash stance right now. It's a comfortable stance, man. Kick the arm back. <laughs> it's good. All but right, yeah, so, so back to the condo craze days, because I don't even remember when you started. I, I know that you were. I thought so you were I started in, oh, I got my first license in California in 08. And okay. I was with, I joined SVN like in 2009, I think. Okay. You had missed the condo craze. You know, yeah, I got to the party right as it was over and the hangover dying. was starting to set in. Yeah. And I was like, hey guys, I'm here. And everyone was <laughs> like, we're not doing anything. Get out of here, kid. Uh, it's like Teen Wolf. They got to you know, bring the keg to the party and they're like, put it with a 30 over there. Right. Yeah. Actually, look, I I'm talking to a lot of younger brokers in this market. And to me, 08 was a great time to start. Like right now is a great time to start. You don't want to start your career in the middle of a hot market when the seniors in your office or any kind of a mentor is so inundated with deal maintenance, they can't really help you. Yeah. And you're sitting there thinking that you're missing all these deals. This is the best time to get in when it's dead and everybody, there's a, there's not a mass exodus of brokers right now, but I'm seeing people leaving. You it's know, a thinning of the herd, which I think is a good thing because I almost, I don't know about you, but I feel like the market generally has been overbrokered. There's too many people trying to make deals. And it's no doubt. And especially when you get really unsophisticated brokers coming in and valuing prices of deals that you're pitching for. Yeah. You know, and then this uh, guy okay. said he could get me, yeah, you know, two million more than you're saying. Say, okay. How? Show yeah. me how. Yeah. And unfortunately, or whatever, that's what we've been doing. That's what we did a lot through 2023 was owners would tell us, this is the price I need. And rather than say, there's no way you're hitting it, we would just say, hey, do you have time to meet? Or if, if you're in a different state, do you want to get on a Zoom call? Let me show you where your $15 million number hits on the metrics. And then we'd start the, we'd start the conversation saying, Look, Bill, I'm giving you 70,000 of NOI. I'm just adding it. Let's just add it on because I don't want to get into an argument about my expenses are higher or my income is lower. I'm giving yeah. you 70K. And is this more than your? Yes, it is. And then say, all right, now at 15 million, here your debt service coverage ratio is 0.8 and your cash on cash is 0.66. And then I just sit there and then. I just had one a couple of weeks ago where the guy's looking at it and he's going, nobody's going to pay 15 million. That, that's right. If, and, then, and then he said, they would if interest rates go to three or if I can get my NOI up 200. So it's yes. Sure. So, yeah. Th then you can play that scenario of what if you did this? What if you did that? But, but yeah, it's been a challenge. Yeah. No. So I feel like we do the same thing is every set of financials that we get in, we run it through our cash flow analysis yeah. to make sure that we're speaking the same language as the, the prospective client. Are their pricing expectations real? Can we see a path to 
15 or 20 or 18, whatever their number is, like, can we get there? Is there, do you have to grow year one income by 25%, 30%? Yep. Like, can you actually do that? Yeah, it's been a, a challenge for sure. But I feel if you're consultative that, I don't know, the good guy will win eventually. Maybe not. I, I Look, I agree with you. In a rapidly increasing market where the, the values are increasing because the, the debt's shrinking or the cost of capital shrinking or what, whatever it is where it's rapidly increasing, you can take... You can say, hey, to, to Mr. and Mrs. Seller, look, I don't think your property is worth this amount. If you want, if you were trying to get $2 million more, who knows? Who knows? This is a, it's a crazy market. Debt's cheap. Let's try. Let's just try. We'll try to put right. that whisper out there. In a market like this, where we had what, 11 Fed interest rate hikes and everybody's tightening and pulling back and Deal volume was down last year, 63 to 73%, depending on what market you're in. <laughs> you don't want to, if you overprice it and you miss a two-month period, you could be out of luck. So it's, if you're looking for that, if you really desire to sell or have to sell or need to sell, you need to make sure you're pricing it at a level that a lender is going to lend on it in this market. And so that it, it, mm -hmm. this market is, it's almost more important to price things both as, as a broker to not waste time yeah we wasted time on a couple deals that we listed before all the rate hikes started coming in and then also as a seller you don't want to miss that window you don't want to you don't want to have a whisper price that's three million dollars above what you're willing to take just because you're trying to get that top price or squeeze it out or another broker told you you could hit that so you, yeah. could, you could lose out. Back to the condo. If you want to talk about the condo craze. So what you missed out on was the, the, the fact that, which helped me because I, again, I had no clue. I didn't have a business background. I didn't have a financial background, but I had a, it was the coolest thing in the world at the time, which was a laser tape measure. So all the guys that I talked to cared about was how big are the units and what can I take the five room, two bedroom units and make it a, a five room, three bedroom unit? Can I take the four room, one bedrooms that have the big dining rooms? Is there a way that I can make that a bedroom mm -hmm. because my condo price in the back end is higher? So all I would do is I would go into the unit because most of the time it was a, a mom and pop owner. Yeah. And a lot of the time they didn't want to, they didn't want to notify any of their tenants. They were all so scared about having yeah. somebody know that they were potentially selling because they owned it for 30 years. Right. So I would go into a vacant unit and I would just laser measure. Okay. And then I would draw it out. And in one instance, I, I'll never forget it. It was on Spalding in Chicago, the street. And I, we went in and the owner didn't want to show us one unit because it was fully occupied. It was, I don't know if it was like a 12 or a, I think it was a 12 unit. And so we went down, I went down with the condo converter into the basement. It was a 1920s walk, corner walk up in Chicago. We went in the basement and she was saying, okay, here's the firewalls. So here's about where the living room is. Here's where the bathroom is. Cause we can see the soil stack and here laid out the unit in the basement. Yeah. We went back out to my car. The guy's like, all right, let's write up the contract. Cause I would carry contracts, form contracts with me. Yeah, so I wrote it up and I brought it back in and handed it to her. And then she took it and said, okay, this is perfect. I got to bring it to my, it's my, so we were writing contracts on the hood of our car, having them go in and we were making deals that way. And it, it was unbelievable. Yeah. That's amazing. What was happening in, in those days and the good old days. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. For sure. It's, it's, it it sounds like is, it was a good but, time. Yeah. yeah. It's a grind sometimes. Yeah. Brokerage is like a fickle mistress. <laughs> There's just enough to keep you hanging around. Oh, uh, that's true. This is as close as I get to a fickle mistress. <laughs> Me too. Right, so that's how you started your career was con form contracts on the hood of your car, basically. And yeah. the power of imagination in the basement. I'm, I'm curious. How has, how has your career evolved? How have things changed? From your perspective, how have they changed now versus then? Oh man, dramatically, right? Before, when I was at the other, when I started my career, 
I was just talking to, to somebody in Colorado this, this, this afternoon about this because she's getting into commercial real estate in Colorado. I was explaining, I was the youngest by about 25 years in my office. They were all dinosaurs. Our OMs were, were it was one sheet of paper. It had the address, the income with a 5% vacancy, like 12 expense line items, the price and my information. That was my OM. When I first saw, saw like uh, these other firms put out packages with pictures that they took and yeah and went ha and had developed I was like wow look at how amazing these people are putting these right. packages together I would drive up and down so I took these zip code maps in Chicago and I just would start in, in zip codes and I would highlight as I would drive up and down these streets in a zip code in Chicago and I would take pictures of every one of the apartment buildings the corner walk-ups and the courtyard buildings and then the mid and, and the mid rises, I, I didn't really go much above 60 units in Chicago at that time. And then I would, at that time, it was, I don't know if you remember these days, my, my camera would only hold 99 photos. So I could only take 99 pictures and I would take a picture of the, the building. I would take yep. a picture. And in Chicago, you had to have either the owner information or the management information on the side of the building. So I would take a picture of that, the address, and then a, a picture of the building. So I'd take three pictures for each property. So I could only get 30 or so buildings. Right. And I do that on a Saturday. You know, so now it's, we have CoStar and Yardy Matrix and Real Capital Analytics and Needle. Yeah. So we have all of these things that we can just sit here. It doesn't replace standing there and seeing the graffiti in the building or sure. seeing the development across the street. Even Google Maps doesn't do that, but you can gather so much more information and just get a database up and running and then mm -hmm. go do all of that stuff that you had to do. You had to start with back in the day. Right there. Exactly. Yeah. There was a high barrier to entry. I remember that, I, which I liked about it, which I liked about it. Yeah. If you were willing to do that kind of work, nobody else was doing it. And then all you had to do was be, I had three ring binders with these sheets that I would have to print out from the the Cook County Treasury office here. It was dumb, but back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I used to do the same thing. I would spend my weekends walking the neighborhoods or driving buildings and you take a picture out outside and then I would put it on a letter and do a yep. mail merge. Yeah. And like I had a whole system figured out of how to do it. And but what's interesting, so I've actually recently gone back to some of that, calling on so using some of the platforms out there, upcoming maturities or deals on like the lender watch list, I'll go there and I'll take a picture of the property. And it's almost like an, uh, it's not the best picture. Yeah. Like the, my rear view mirror will be in, in the picture or the hood of my car, but that's yeah. on purpose. So it's, I actually went there. Like, yeah, yeah. This isn't a Google. Yeah. This isn't from CoStar. It's me. And oh, by the way, your dumpster is overflowing. Yep. And looks like you have some potholes. Maybe I just caught you on the day that trash day and they haven't gotten there yet. But yeah. by the way, you're on the watch list. What are you doing? Uh, that that call immediately adds more value. I think so. Than, hey, I've, you want to sell one, two, three main? Would you look at an offer? I have an exchange. Box. That was like the coolest opening statement that we did in the early 2000s. Hey, we have an exchange buyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I still hear people doing that now. It's Honestly, it's still the best hook. Like it, it is because everybody's like overpay, 20% overpayer with a timeline constraint. They have to name my property in 45 days. So yeah, I don't like calling Wolf when it's not actually there. But fortunately, we've had enough exchange buyers that we're working with where it's like when we're putting it out there. I'm not lying to you. I'm no. The thing is when you're talking to as many owners and operators and sellers and buyers that you talk to, of, of course you have two or three exchange buyers that, that are reaching out yeah. at any given time saying, Hey, what do you have? I have 25 more days to name. Mm -hmm. And it's a great reason to reach out. You, you know, I still think you need to add some kind of value to the person because as a percent of the time we call somebody, they're not going to do anything which yeah. is another barrier to entry to the brokerage community. I was just having a conversation today with somebody that we've had people with PhDs and MBAs try to get into brokerage thinking they're the smartest person in the room, which they probably are. Yeah. They can't handle 
99 out of 100 calls being no. Yeah. You know, and then they don't, it's hard to imagine that 1% yes makes careers. That's what you it know? is. It's, I, mean, I live that, by the mantra of the harder I work, the luckier I get. I'm sure yeah. you do as well. Yeah. Yeah, we're not rocket scientists. No, we're not. If anybody recorded our conversations at any of the conferences we've hung out at, they would realize that quickly. <laughs> yeah, maybe so, guys like Bob Knackle, but he's a special sort of guy, I guess. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So on your call metrics, for the longest time, I lived by... 50 conversations a week, 10 a day. And back to your, sometimes it's, sometimes it takes, it would take 150 calls a day to hit that 10 conversations. Do you, did you track your calls or what were the metrics that you were looking at? I never tracked my calls until I hired a coach. Uh -huh. And actually David was my coach too. Yeah. I never tracked them until that. And then when I started tracking them, I was, it, it seemed very pitiful. Once I started tracking and utilizing, I call it the bubble sheet, which is that cheat sheet with the, the circles. Yeah. It became like a game. And if I didn't fill that sheet up each week, I, I felt like I failed that week. And mm, it was, like that. It was almost triple what I used to do. And that's another reason why, you know, anybody in, in business, in real estate, really, I, I don't know, any industry needs to hire a coach if they don't have a mentor that is a fantastic mentor. Because the what I realized, especially with the calls, because every other week or whatever we had the calls, you go to the metrics and you look at them. And then I was putting in, here's how many dials I'm making, here's how many connections, and then here's how many hours a week. And then I'll just never forget, he's he kept, every week, he's like, how are you doing this many hours and you're only hitting this many dials? And then I finally took, wait a minute, let's go through it. Go take me through the process. Right. And I would be like, I go to my database. I look up stash. I'd see how many buildings he has. I'd look at his buildings. I'd go into all of the buildings, see which ones had mortgages that were coming due, see what other states that he was in, look at his website. And he's like, yeah, then you get a voicemail, right? Yeah. So you just spent 10 minutes doing all of that. Yeah. And so once I, and that's all you're looking for, right? When you hire a coach, you're looking for like a one or 2% trajectory change. The if little can, things. Yeah. If you can get that and you stay committed to it, not many people have numbers like you as far as dials, but yeah, I've fallen off a little bit, which I probably should get back to it, but yeah, we're using, we're trying to use more tools like mail merges and things like that, trying to be smarter, trying yeah. to use needle to track not only prospecting efforts, but deals in the pipeline and where they're at, financials being sent or not and pricing, things like that. And you're bringing up needle and and I was, I've been fortunate enough, I haven't used it as much as I should, but I've been fortunate enough to do the beta testing on that. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I took, I just took the hot leads ones that were in needle yeah. and I put them into a list and I just started really talking to the owners that I knew. So I could just, it was just, it was like a, Hey, I was checking in with them. A crazy thing. I'm using this, this AI tool. It's a predictive analytics tool and your property at 1033, whatever popped up. I'm just curious as to, I'm testing the system. What do you know? Is there any validity to the fact that this is showing up as a, a potential property that could be sold? Because yeah. I, I knew it because I think it was like a point, point 0.7 debt coverage or something like that. So it was like way off. Yeah. And he said, yeah, he goes, I'm not surprised it's on a list like that because we way overpaid for this because we own the property and the backside of it. And we're trying to combine operations and we're not, it's, it hasn't been as successful as we thought. So he's, so I can see why he's, I'm not, I'm not ready to give it up yet, but it was, that was like the first call. That's great. Like, holy, crap. holy crap. This is, this, there, there could be something because like you said, I don't want to go through a list of a thousand properties to try to uncover one potential. If I can get that thousand down to yeah a you know, hundred start with the low hanging fruit, then go back to the 900 that if the low hanging fruit doesn't produce anything, that's what right. we're looking for. Exactly. 
Yeah. So. I, I mean that, so that was the original idea when I, I was walking. I remember I was, I had parked my car and I was walking the block it took to get to my office. And I, I had just had a, a call with somebody and they're like, we're not doing anything. And I see a listing pop up with a competitor or something. And I'm like, yeah, there's so much data out there. There's rental rates and Pierce Island, like we mentioned, yeah. rental rates, occupancies, even ownership behavior patterns. And it's, I can see all this stuff in reverse. I just don't know what to do with it forward looking. So that was really the genesis of how we got here. And we're presently, I was working on it a little bit before this, we've joined a startup accelerator called GrowthX and going through their program and it's really tearing everything down to the basics so that you can get really, I would almost like to do it for brokerage as well, a brokerage business because it's the metric, the things that it's looking at are the same for any sales business. So hmm. it just happens to be for sales based organizations so tech yeah. companies in this case but yeah you know, and 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 so that was just that was illinois so there were a ton that popped up right in illinois so i started there and then to give you another example which as i'm giving you two two examples that happened immediately which is why i'm almost embarrassed i'm not using using it every day the second one i met with a younger team that left an acquisition firm they're starting their own fund and they wanted to target South Dakota. So I said, let me look at Needle. Yeah. Brought Needle up in South Dakota. It only had, South Dakota does not have that many apartment buildings to begin with. So, right. but it brought up, I think, 18 buildings. Of those 18 buildings, there might have been eight owners, right? Because a couple, there were a couple that were this, from the same owner. And so I got it down. I said, hey, look, and I screen shared it with these guys. I'm calling them kids because they're probably in their late 20s. And I said, okay, here's a couple, here's nine companies. And they said, we have an LOI on that companies. Uh, we are negotiating a contract with this company. And then they said, and we're meeting next week. We're going out to South Dakota to meet with this other company. So of the nine companies, they already were working with three of them. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> it, it was amazing. I don't know if I should promote it because I don't want other brokers to have this stuff. <laughs> I we I did not pay you for this. this That's is right. Just... So I should have some profit sharing and needle. Yeah, we'll talk offline. We'll figure <laughs> something out. <laughs> but yeah, it's for the, I don't even know how I got, like how old is it so far? Because I, I just mean... found out about it a few months before, maybe in the summer. Yeah, that's when we that's when we gave the green light to start talking to people about it. But so I I was thinking on the idea back when 20 Did you ever use Realhound? I did not. That was the CRM I used and I thought it was great, but then they just stopped supporting it and so like when that started to fall apart, I think that's probably about the time that I was like man, what if you could do this? And then it took a while to, because it's been a side hustle for everybody, educate our data scientists. And what we first started doing was spitting out, and I kept it within Capstone, but we would, I had similar experiences. So like it we would spit out like 20 leads. And in Cincinnati, I remember, I was like, we're listing that one. That one's under contract. That one's listed with a competitor, like yeah. seven of them, seven of the 20. And I was like, oh my God, we're onto something. And yeah. so once we had that, our initial thought was, and we can still offer this, but we've pivoted. If you have your own data set, we can work from that and apply it, apply the formula and then get those leads for you. But Everybody is, I have the most important protective data ever imagined. So hands off sort yeah. of thing. So it's like, all right, we're going to have to go out and source the data individually on our own and then just sell the leads in that way on, on a subscription basis. So that's, what's taken us a while. And I'm, I'm sure I would imagine that those three ring binders that you had from Cook County auditor what we have found is that sometimes you'll have 
I bet that hundred unit that you talked about at the beginning, that was probably two parcels, right? Yeah. It was, we're trying to figure out, okay, if it's two parcels like that, how do you tie those two together? Is it the ownership entity? Is it the loan? Is it the sale date? But then sometimes, like you said, the guy said, oh, we bought, we own the one behind it and we're trying to combine operations with it. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye, but we're getting there. I think we're on the verge of being able to start actually selling it and monetizing. And I'm excited for that. Yeah. I I think you even mentioned some kind of metric when you look back in in previous years. Yeah. So on, on just the very basic algorithm in 2021, we were 40, I think 44% accurate. And then in 2022, we were 47% accurate. So what that means is that if we had a hundred properties, if we predicted a hundred properties that 44 would have traded. And then the next year, if we predicted a hundred properties, if we labeled them hot, for instance, then 47 traded. And there's- You're looking and with predictive analytics, you're looking for, I would imagine if you were anywhere near 20%, people are buying it. Yeah. Because yeah, because otherwise your choice is okay. There's a thousand properties in the market. Right. I got to call every single one of those owners. And the thing is, I'm sure you've experienced this. <clears throat> when you call an owner who owns 20 properties, hey Jeff, are you selling any of them? No. Hey Jeff, are you selling Stone Creek? Actually, I might be considering it. Yeah. Right. And it's the same guy. It's only a it's a one percent change in your conversation. Yeah. And it's just how you approach them. Yeah, I've been honest with people when I'm testing it as well, when I'm doing my prospecting out of there. Hey, this is a new prospecting system. It has identified whatever property as a potential sale candidate. What are your plans for the property? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious, how long have you been coaching? I think I'm going on to my third year. How do you like it? I enjoy it. It's interesting because I was also sharing this today on another conversation with somebody that's thinking of getting, they they saw that I coach brokers and they said, why should I do this? I was explaining to her that the interesting thing part about it is I was probably like many of the typical, actually, I know a lot of the, a lot of the people I've coached, I was probably typical or worse than the ones I coached where I was like, I, I wouldn't time block the time to do the work. So I'm always doing it like the night before or right before the call. And I didn't realize that my coach at the time could see when I had submitted it, the link. So I was thinking I was be like, get on the call. No, I sent it in. Like my, my dog ate the homework, but I found it Yeah, kind of thing. And and so I wasn't, I, I didn't put all my effort into doing it. So I, and I was always like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and do each module. And really you never have time to do that. And then yeah. my coach said, actually, you'd be a good coach for this, just from our conversations. And then I, I knew a, a couple of the other people at the company, Mike and everybody, and they just mm-hmm. said, hey, let, let's do it. It'd be awesome to, you'll learn your craft better once you teach it. Yeah. And it's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt because as I've gone back and taken a dozen people through every one of the modules I'm like, Oh, that's what I was supposed to learn out of this. I finally get it. And and so you learn it a lot better. And then the other thing is it turns something on where if you're not doing this stuff that you're coaching these people to do, because they ask you, is it, so how do you do this? Yeah. I realized that early on with the first, with my first member coaching them, I was like, I'm going to be asked this. So now I, so I have to implement the things that I'm coaching and it just made my practice a lot better. That's great. So I, I, I enjoy it. I, and I enjoy like seeing the aha moments that I saw the the 1% things that I wish I would have known. Yeah. Uh, especially to the, to the new to business uh, brokers around the country. And it's it, look, I, I like being a part of that community too, because there are things that come up. I learned from all the other people within the community things. That I'm like, I never even thought of that. Uh, that angle. I never, I never even thought to use AI. I never thought to do that. It's not even something I would have considered. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I was part of it earlier on in my career. Then I got to a point where I just felt like I wasn't 
I had a lot going on. I think I dropped it when we transitioned over to Capstone or shortly thereafter. So I was trying to learn like a new company and I had the team and we were trying, we were working through some things that way. And I was just like, I don't have the the bandwidth, but I, I think it's a great thing. And that's, I attribute the coaching to really helping me stay in the business. That's, I figured out my call counts, like it was Gary, who's no longer with us. If you got your CCIM, he's the one that built the initial discounted cash flow. Yeah. And it was 50 conversations a week and it's and two new business appointments a week. And it's if you can do those things, you're going to be all right. Yeah. But and I felt I could even if I got kicked in the teeth, all right, I got my calls in. I can go home and come and try and conquer it again tomorrow. Yeah. So. And and 10 conversations is a lot. It seems very simple when you yeah. said all you got to do is go to work and, and, and talk to 10 people. <laughs> if somebody told you that, you're like, hey, you can make a million dollars if you just talk to 10 people a day, five days a week. You'd be like, easy. No, no big deal. And I re- there was one thing I remember. I don't know if we were at that conference in LA where you had to go back to your hotel room because I think at the time you were trying to get eight. Was it, was there ever a number that you, you said, I need to get eight a day? No, it's always, it was always 10. Okay. I, there's somebody else that said eight and it's eight seems like a lot easier number to hit than 10, <laughs> but it's still, it's still 40 a week. Yeah. And then, so now you're talking about 160 conversations a month. Yeah. If you have 160 <clears throat> conversations a month. There's no way you're not going to get in the middle of something because on those conversations, it always leads you in a different direction than you thought. They're like, "Eh, I'm not doing this, but I have this other one that I have a 20% vacancy because I'm always like, give me your dog first. If I don't know the person, give me your crappiest property. The one that makes you like pissed that you're in real estate to begin with. Yeah. No, let me underwrite it and see what we can do. If all else fails, I can give you information as to what, you can do to make it a better you know, income producing property for you at the very sure. least. So well, that's that consultative approach. Like we talked about. Yeah. That's interesting. How do you, how have you overcome or have you been able to overcome? Oh, so-and-so sold it to me. I got to sell it back through them. Is that a burden you face or a, a oh, objection? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's one that I can appreciate. Yeah. And I just, I'll say, Hey, Bill, I look, I can appreciate that. Cause that's all I'm trying to build with all of my clients when I sell them a deal. And then from there, I'm just say, Hey, I'm happy to give you a second opinion, knowing that you're going to go with this other person. I'm always, I'm always happy to be second husband on a real estate transaction. I'm always happy to be second choice for you because frankly, and while I'll also look at the age of the person that they're saying, this is my guy or gal as a broker. Yeah. And if we're up in years, I'm like, look, I don't know if he or she is going to be doing this much longer. Let me just, let me give you the second opinion until they decide to start buying their own deals or God forbid something happens to them and they're no longer going to be able to service your needs. Yeah. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to come in a second. So. Hmm, that's fair. And have I you switch it? I switch it to that, but have you won deals that way? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Is I it? Mean, it the, 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 there's a, a recent deal that we won where the, the uh, we were one of five brokerage firms that pitched on it. We happened to use, I used the perfect pitch scenario with them. And then I also used a lot of our data because it was not a stabilized asset. So I used a lot of the data like Yardy Matrix where they gave us within a two mile radius there's a one or one or three mile radius actually around the property, right? Where you utilize the metrics of everybody that's on the Yardy Voyager software, drop it down into here's where five or six deals right around you are running currently with live data. We utilize that, which was a different thing that nobody else brought to the table. And then wow. we had also sold these, we'd <clears throat> sold them a, another deal and actually invested with them on another transaction. So we had a little bit of a leg up than the guy that sold them the deal, but yeah. And as far as, yeah, we have been successful in other realms because the other thing is, even if somebody is saying, I'm going 
there was another transaction in, in Texas that we actually invested with the owner. And he said, I have to give it to this group that gave me the deal. Mm -hmm. I said, no problem, because I knew it was such a hairy, crazy deal. And I also knew who the owner was, that he, he's not the most easy person to deal with. And I, I've closed 10 transactions with him, but I, so I know how he operates. I know he's going to call me at 6.30 on Friday and expect me to answer my phone. Otherwise, I'm going to get four different calls. And then they progressively get more aggressive. It happened right. to me on the first deal. So I know what to do. <clears throat> so I, I knew how to... So. I knew the other guys weren't going to want to list it, even though he said, I have to give it to them. So I still gave him, here's the full blown proposal. Here's what I think we can do. We're not looking for a needle in a haystack. We're looking for a needle in a needle stack kind of person. So if they can do it, I can appreciate that. But here's what I think we can do. And we invested with you on this deal. So what do you think? So do you invest with clients a lot in deals? We've been, it's funny because we initially started investing in the deals where the buyer, we're trying to talk up the property to the buyer. And then the buyer saying, we get it down to the one guy that we think that is above and beyond everybody else. And we're talking it up and they're saying, Hey, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? If you really believe in this transaction, why don't you throw your fee into it? And then of course we have to make sure you have to ask the seller say, Hey, I, I am representing you, but these guys are now at a point where they're saying the only way they're doing this deal is if I throw the fee in. Do you have any problems with it? If you do, I'm not doing it. They might not buy it, but I'm going to tell them I believe in this deal. Do you have a problem? So I always ask that. Everybody has to understand that on both sides. That's how we got involved in the first deal. It was a 144 unit deal where the, the buyer lost his main investor. And he, oh. he actually, he died at a, after their holiday party and oh my gosh, um, yeah, it was crazy. And so he's like, look, I don't have enough funds. I have to back out. I said, look, I think this, I think with the way you operate deals and I'll never forget the deal because it was 18 buildings with 144 units. And the one building, the guy actually tried to condo convert in the condo craze days, but it was a soft market that was in a tertiary market. And he, his attempt to condo convert was I'm changing the white appliances to black appliances. I'm putting a Formica countertop on and I'm going to change out the hardware. And then yeah. he, so he's, and I said, okay. And then he's like, but nobody was willing to buy a condo in this market when they could buy a house for the same price. I said, okay. And then he's, so I put him back on the rent roll. And, and I noticed they were $150 higher than all the 17 other buildings. How much did you put into these units? He said, I don't know, about 3,000, 3,300. That's a light so then renovation. I said to the buyer, yeah, I said, look, it's done. It's proven. This is proven. Yeah. 3,300 a unit gets you $150. That's a great ROI. Dude. And so then I said, look, all you have to do is the same thing for the rest of the 17 unit buildings. You just added about, I don't know, a million and a half, 2 million in value. Like that. With $300,000 of, so then he's, look. And it was interesting because once I said, look, I'll, we'll help you raise the money. And we just did it with a couple of people. And even at the time it was my mom, she, my grandfather had passed and she had a couple shekels that she inherited from him. Yeah. I, put, I said, I'll bring my mom's money into it. And that even got, and so the guy, so he went from when we did the inspections, look at this, look at this, look at the floors are bouncy. Look at this. I said, I'll never forget. I said, Harry, if you don't, if you think this is a bad deal, we're, I'm out. We're out. Let's say, you know, it's not, it's not the, it was like a different conversation. Yeah. Right? It was not now the broker just trying to get a fee. <clears throat> it was me as a partner with this guy. So that's a lesson I, I wish somebody would have told me, or I would have learned uh, much earlier in my career is to throw in on deals and, but you have to make sure that you find, I, I don't know about you, but I've had happen to me too many times where you invest a lot of time and resources into a relationship and then the person just ends up being a scoundrel or yeah, I guess that just is what it is. That's just sales. Yeah. And the other thing is from the brokerage perspective, you don't want to get, cause we have a couple in our market that they buy a lot of deals uh -huh. and you don't want to get the, the perception in the market that if you're bringing a deal to a, to market, it's one you passed on. So that's why I don't buy deals on my own. I only would come in with deals that I believe in either outside of my market 
with owners that I trust. Yeah. Or if it's in my market, it has to be a specific deal that I these I was asked to come into basically like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you, you just you don't want to get the reputation because there are a couple guys here in Chicago that they have that reputation that they're brokers and everybody's like, what's wrong with the property if you're putting it on LoopNet or Crexy? What, what's wrong right. with it? Why didn't you buy it? Right. So, yeah, that's true. All right. You're the national chair, council chair of multifamily for SVN. Did I say it right? Is that the yeah. right? So being that you you say oversee multifamily for the whole country, do you have a particular market that you specialize in? Yeah. And oversee is a strong, it's a strong descriptive word about what I do as the national council chair. You lead it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I do the national multifamily call and we used to do it every month when you were on board, I did it every month and it was like, because it takes about five or six hours to get everything prepared and the slides and all that. And so that was just getting way too much. And then they switched us to quarterly, which is a lot easier. It's more palatable. So I just did it last week. But what that does for, for me is it forces me to learn markets outside of mine. I'm here in Chicago. Yep. I work Midwestern markets predominantly. Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Iowa is where we track every single deal that exists 50 units and above. Obviously, we, we can work on a number of different other states. So what... The position has done for me is I run the breakout sessions at the national conferences for the multifamily group. Do the I'm just I'm face forward to a lot of the a lot of the advisors. We have a little over 220 offices around the country, and a lot of them are secondary and tertiary markets, where it might be a two or three person team that is a jack of all trades, but they know the owner of the 200 unit deal, right? Their kid goes to school with their kid or they go to the same church or whatever it is. They just don't feel comfortable underwriting, marketing and putting the package together for a 150 unit or 200 unit deal in their market. Montgomery, Alabama is one example right now. We've sold a number of deals there with a with another SVN partner that he knows the market. He, he says, I porch swing with everybody down here. I was like, what the hell does porch swing mean? He's like, I sit on the front porch and I can talk to him. I was like, okay. And so we have a great partnership with him. He just basically gets the foot in the door because multifamily is the same all over the country. You just need to understand the local nuances. If you're in whatever, like North Carolina, you have to understand the polybutyl piping issues that come up. If you're in certain areas, you just have to understand the specific niches. And obviously, if you're down in the Florida markets or tech, you have to understand that now your insurance is four grand a unit. unit. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. Just in Miami, talking to somebody, and they said it was like thirty five hundred a unit. So they're all starting to self insure. <laughs> I mean, that number, when it's getting up to five fifty a unit here in the Midwest, which it, I just posted you, something like, is anybody getting renewals that are less than five hundred, five fifty a unit? I, I don't know about you, but I remember when I first started, it was two fifty a unit, and that was exactly that's because yeah. we have all the metrics of price per unit that. If something pops up, it turns red and it started getting above that. We were at 350 for a while. Yeah. Now it's 550 is like the best case scenario. So as long as you understand the nuances, you can work a deal in any part of the country. It's just, that's what we've enjoyed. So we use, we utilize our team here in Chicago. We partner up with whoever needs us in whatever capacity they need us. Mm-hmm. They typically do all the boots on the ground, the showings, the all the, they, they're for all the inspections. They're the eyes and ears for the seller. Yep. We, and then we oftentimes will bring in the buyer and we'll run the process from a marketing standpoint, underwriting standpoint. I think we've done deals in nine or 10 different states in the last couple of years with colleagues. And it's been fun. I'm learning different markets from El Paso to Syracuse to Durham, um, the Dakotas, it's, we're, we're all over the place with that. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I bet you didn't think that's what was going to happen when you first started, did you? I didn't think I was leaving two different zip codes in, in Chicago. <laughs> I didn't want to because once I started getting a 45 minutes, an hour, we're selling deals that we're driving three and a half hours to go. To, then it becomes like you have to stack your day when you're doing yeah. that. And we've done the whole let's hire a retired limo driver kind of thing. I got that from Bo Beery, where I've hired people where they're driving me down down to the inspections and I can do work. 
for that three-hour drive there and three-hour drive back so you don't get back at nine o'clock at night and you have three hours of emails to respond. Oh, and you're exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Being on the road is exhausting. It is. It is. Um, it's yeah. Part, well, it's, it's, part, it's part of what we do. So that's why I thought this is great. I'm never leaving Chicago. It, like the, the longest drive I'll ever have is to the other side of the city. We were selling in, in some areas that were very management intense. <laughs> in Chicago, which was interesting because at, at that time, so I had a, a black sedan and I donated to the, I always donate to the police memorial fund. So I get the police stickers or like plates. Yeah. I have the trench coat. So most of the time when I'd go into areas that were management intensive areas, they thought I was a police officer back then. They actually respected police. Now I, I, I wouldn't be trying to look like one going into these markets. Take a different tact. Yeah. yeah. I look like an insurance agent. I've, I've done that too, where there, there was one deal. I'll never forget on the West You have side. a state farm polo or something. I, I need to get one of those. I just khaki pants. Like yeah. you know, I'm, I'm Jake. I need to do that because there was one deal that I was showing at 11 o'clock in the morning. And there was a whole crew of guys out on the front porch. There were probably eight of eight guys hanging, and they weren't tenants of the building. Yeah, right. And and they weren't they weren't cost cutco knife salesmen going to that building either. So yeah, they, they were hanging strong. And I they was were like, there to work, but yeah. not selling knives. Right. They were selling things. It just wasn't it wasn't knives. But I'll never forget. Like I'm sitting there, and this was early in my career. And I was like, holy cow, I have a prospective buyer coming to look at this. If they see this going on out in the front, it's, I might as well not be here. So what I did was I had a trench coat. I got out with my camera you know, my camera that could take 99, 90 pictures or whatever yep. it was. I said, you guys, <clears throat> you're free to stay in front of this building. For ins- I'm here for insurance purposes. I have to take pictures of the rooftop here from the ground. You're free to stay. When you tell people like that, that are doing suspect things, they're like, no, man, no, thank you. And they're like covering themselves as they're leaving. So they yeah. out, showed the building. As long as you were there. Yeah. Right. So there's it, it it all sorts of different fun tactics. Yeah. <laughs> That's genius. I've never done that, but I like that. Ta- if I ever have to do that. Girl, what are you going to say? Can you guys please move off the steps? Yeah. Yeah. That would work. Yeah. So I'm 26 <laughs> years old. But when you bring that camera out. That, yeah, uh, that helps. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, how can people get in touch with you if they want to be in touch with you? I'll give you my cell number. I don't know if you put it in the show notes. My cell number is 773-251-7342. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm there daily. Um, find me. And your hashtag is, what is it? Multifamily readout. Yeah, that's, that's genius. It. I love it. There were too many multifamily minutes, so I had to cancel doing those. That's all right. I think it's better this way. All right, cool. <laughs> awesome. Reed, thank you so much, my friend, and have a great rest of your day. All right, Stash, you too. Great all talking. Right.